0: We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay.
1: Today's guest is Hazard Lee. Today's A Little Bit Different It's a wee teaser interview. ...on his upcoming stunning new book, The Art of Clear Thinking. A normal full in-depth interview will follow later in the year... ...with usual programming interviews coming starting next week. But this is a book I think you all need to know about. Pick it up today and improve your decision making and level up your life. Hazard is an F-35 fighter pilot in the US Air Force Reserve... He's flown over a 1,000 hours in the F-16, including 82 combat missions. He's a mission commander and is the only fighter pilot in history to fly two different types of jets into combat on the same day. Based on a career of making high-stakes, split-second decisions as an elite US fighter pilot, the art of clear thinking teaches readers how to make better decisions in everyday life, where Hazard distills what he's learned during his career flying some of the most advanced aircraft in Air Force history through riveting storytelling both from his time as a fighter pilot and through fascinating turning points in history hazard relates to the audience in a compelling and accessible way that makes the book as entertaining as it is useful hazard has used and taught these decision making techniques across a full spectrum of human endeavor and proved their effectiveness both in the cockpit and in the boardroom those who have already benefited included ceos astronauts cia agents students, parents, and many others. The Art of Clear Thinking is a book that will change how you interact with the world around you, and it's something you need to know. And now, let's get to the interview. How would you describe who you are to people? Because you have one of the greatest jobs of all time, but how, how do you advise people who you are when you introduce yourself?
2: It depends who I'm talking to. So I, I do have multiple uh, hats that I wear. So primarily a fighter pilot. So I, that's what I've spent the majority of my career doing, being a fighter pilot, trying to stay in the books and, and practice as much as possible, um, to be the most capable fighter pilot as I could be. So I was in the air force, went to the air force Academy in 2005. I've been flying, uh, fighters since 2012, about half of that time flying the F-16 and then half the time flying the, uh, F-35. So that's my, uh, my primary job. Now I'm in the reserve, so I fly a couple times a month, and then I'm an author. So writing uh, this book has been the majority of my time. So I wrote for over, over 500 days in a row with this book. It's the culmination of about a six-year journey. So I would say fighter pilot, author, and then I also do some social media stuff as well, YouTube videos. So we just put a, a UFC fighter in the, uh, the centrifuge, spun him up to 9G's, Um, so have a, a big presence on there, but, uh, pretty much just, uh, really enjoy, enjoy my jobs, enjoy learning things and, uh, and just going from there.
1: Love it. Well, tonight I really want to focus on your amazing book. You've coming out, you know, you've got a phenomenal way of explaining things and the concepts and techniques we can use in our own life. But why did you initially go towards decision-making rather than like an autobiography or, you know, like a fictional series or something. What what focused you on that in terms of the book?
2: Yeah, so I don't think I've done enough to really warrant uh, autobiography. So I I wanted to incorporate and use my stories to be able to help others uh, when it comes to decision-making. And so as fighter pilots, that's really our primary job is to make decisions. Every time we go and fly, we're making thousands of decisions. And oftentimes there are people whose lives are on the line and there's an incomplete amount of information. So that's really what we excel at. We are leveraging technology. So that's one of the things I talked to in the book. We really leverage technology. It's the suit of armor of technology that I'm flying. I can, I can travel a hundred times faster than I could on foot. I can carry a hundred times more. I'm thousands of times more capable than I could be on my own when I have this suit of, uh, of an F 35 around me. And so our decisions are amplified. And so it pays to really focus on our decision-making and breaking those down. So after we go and fly, typically it's about an hour and a half, unless we're in combat, sometimes it can be far longer, but for training, it's about an hour and a half and we'll come back and we'll debrief for two to six hours, really focusing on everything that we did wrong, how to correct it. We'll sometimes listen to the same radio call 15 times, just trying to figure out what we can do better the next time. So when you boil everything down, even though there's a lot of physicality when flying, it really has to do with decision-making.
1: Oh, I because mean, that's something I love about your sort of style of present uh, presentation is you can take these very detailed nuances about how to be a better operator, a better person, et cetera, and explain it in such a hard hitting. And, you know, we just absorb it and it just makes you a better person every time I've listened to you. But they always say that it's not always the hardware and the software. It can be the pink squishy thing in the middle that causes the problems. When you're flying at, you know, thousands of miles an hour, decisions on a split second, how on earth are you taught to do this? What techniques, you know, how do they teach you to absorb the factors, you know, check the weather, check the environmental settings? How how do you judge that plus what the plane's doing and yourself and control yourself? to engage, you know, how are you taught to deal with decisions in such split-second timeframes? You're right.
2: A lot of times it is split-second. We're flying with closure rates over a thousand knots, so over a thousand miles an hour. That's a, a mile every uh, three seconds or so. So you really have to be on Jeez. your game when making decisions. So we do have a lot of those split-second decisions, but also we are planning these missions. So these missions are sometimes planned days, months, even years before we actually go and fly a mission. And so as fighter pilots, we're leading the mission planning process. We're having dozens, sometimes hundreds of people coming together all to align towards this goal of overall mission success. And so one of the big misconceptions that people have is as a fighter pilot, you are just in this one v one cage match. You're going out there you are fighting the adversary their best pilot and whoever wins you know is is the uh, the champion but that's really not at all close to to what we do so we're going out with dozens sometimes hundreds of people and it's multi-domain so in space in cyber on the ground everybody working together the enemy is doing the same thing to try and target your weaknesses so it's this complex elaborate almost a three-dimensional game of chess that you're playing against the enemy. So we do have to make a lot of those split-second decisions, but we also have to make some of those long-term decisions when we're planning missions. And so the way we break down decisions is into three phases. So being able to assess the problem in front of us, if you're not able to assess the problem and really develop a good understanding of the problem, you cannot make consistently good decisions. So once you understand that, next is choosing a correct course of action. Now you have to come up with courses of action. So it's creativity. So that's one of the chapters I have in my book of how organizations and people can be more creative through a mission planning process that was really developed by the Air Force and John Warden, uh, you know, one of the one of the key air power founders back in the uh, the eighties, uh, through effects-based planning. And then lastly, being able to execute. So when we're flying missions, sometimes a thousand people have touched these missions. So We have spies on the ground, we have intel officers, we have space, cyber, we have tankers launching from other countries, all to allow us to get over the target. And with modern forms of communication, a lot of those people can be watching you in real time. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And so we go in the book, I talk to a lot about how uh, people can handle that pressure, how they can handle that stress and execute. Under those extreme conditions. So uh, that's pretty much in a condensed form, how we make decisions.
1: I love it. I mean, it's that kind of planning to eliminate as much of the potential to go wrong, because they always say that no plan survives first contact with the enemy how are you taught to sort of break down your problems, think creatively, but also act confidently, but Mm -hmm. without using your ego to put yourself, because I think we all watch Top Gun and we think it's you taking on 15 guys by yourself and, you know, being the Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise route. How are you taught to kind of, okay, that's what was the plan, but you know, what's the balance between uh, you being able to creatively Mm -hmm. engage and kind of okay, I have to wait for command. Like what's the, the onus that's put on the pilot in those situations?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So yeah, everybody remembers the, the first top gun, really arrogant. You have Maverick out there doing his own thing. But as I said, these are large teams going in and each aircraft has its strength. So you need those ISR, the intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance aircraft out there. When you're leading this team of hundreds of people, you can't just go in there beating your chest saying you're the you know, the best out there, because it's going to alienate these other groups. And as the mission commander, your job is to bring everybody together so that the sum is greater than the parts. So the way we break down missions is into the ends, the means, the ways, and the risks. So you need to have an end goal. So it can be when we're flying a mission, it can be overall mission success, being able to neutralize a target. I talk in my book about a pivotal time In my career, which was when the F 35 was coming online, we had people from different groups coming together. It was transitioning from more of a test bed to actually going operational. And so we had to develop the training syllabus for where this was going. And so the F 35, it's going to be the key, the backbone of the Western air power for the next 50 years. So it was a really important, pivotal time in history. And so we did the same thing. So what's what do we need these wingmen to do? So what we came up with was we need them to be to survive and thrive into the late 2030s. So that was the the overall and then overall goal and then from there we developed objectives. So if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to be able to plan it well. So that's the first thing. What are your means? So what assets do you have available? It's best if you break down the required uh requirements into effects so not necessarily what how many uh, jets how many uh, f-35s or f-15s you need but breaking it down into what effects do you need you need this target destroyed you need this radar site jammed so really breaking it down into the effects one of the stories i go into is uh the opening days of the gulf war so most people would think that you'd send in stealth bombers to uh for the opening days of a war especially in a high threat country like Iraq at the time in the 1990s but what actually happened due to effects based planning is we launched helicopters as the opening strike for a major war so we were able to pair pavlo helicopters along with apache helicopters to go in because we needed a early warning radar site destroyed so we needed it destroyed we needed uh It to be not detected so you're going after a radar site that means you have to fly under 50 feet you have to make sure that you can confirm the destruction so we couldn't just send tomahawks or something like that and we needed somebody on the ground to be able to to see if it was destroyed and then lastly the Iraqi's were moving around their targets so we needed uh an ability to be able to adjust the aim point at the last minute and so uh, if you combine all those things we came up with an innovative solution it's called task force Normandy with those two helicopters. After that, you have the ways. So the tactics that you're actually using to execute. And then lastly, you have the risks. So both the risk to what is the chance of this operation succeeding? And then what is the risk of failure? So being able to balance that throughout the mission planning process. So that's really how we break that down.
1: I love that because there's so many rabbit holes. I'm trying to avoid going down because I know we're short for time tonight, but what what characteristics or kind of training do they do sort of to give you a, I think you talked about a high performance mental plan that operators are given, you know, to be the best. How are we, how are you taught to control emotions, to think logically, you know, do you use like visualization, meditation? How do you become the best pilots? Because eventually you do you get to a point where the technology is so advanced that the pilots can't keep up? How do you ensure that you can have the longevity in your career, but also deal with the advancing technology? Because you've talked in your social media about like the flight simulators and things like that. Eventually, how do you get the hours in? Because they say, was it a thousand hours for mastery? How do you get that level of skill in be- without actually having to do the bombing runs, etc.? Or is it just real time experience?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I I would break that down into two things. So first is preparation. You, you can't shortcut preparation. You don't rise to the level of your expectation. You fall to the level of your preparation. So Mm -hmm. you need to be training extremely hard. You need to be training for missions that are more advanced and more difficult than what you're going to actually do in combat. So there's no shortcut. That being said, over the last five years or so, the air force has had a massive push in toward, into human performance so both the physical side and the mental side <clears throat> from the physical side so we're pulling a lot of g's upwards of nine g's nine times the force of gravity so i weigh 200 pounds now 230 with my gear on that means uh it's i weigh over two thousand pounds when i am uh, in a max performance turn all that blood is being pulled out of my head and if you lose enough you can pass out and g-lock And unfortunately we've had about one pilot a year died to a g-lock over the last 30 years so from a human performance standpoint you need to be in really good shape Uh, that's exercising nutrition hydration just being three percent dehydrated can reduce your g tolerance time by 50 percent. you have to sleep well all of those factors so we really dedicate a lot towards that aspect from a physicality and also long-term injuries so a lot of pilots have to retire Because with a helmet on that's 135 pounds on your neck. And so a lot of pilots have neck and back issues. Now, what we found though, is that a lot of this stuff helps with the mental side. So being able to have a high cognitive bandwidth. So as we talked earlier, being a fighter pilots, really about making. Decisions, thousands of decisions. So you need to have endurance to be able to continue to make those decisions. When I was flying missions in Afghanistan those missions would be at least five hours, sometimes eight or more hours. So that's like, you know, taking a, taking a test for eight hours while you're flying around, you have to be able to regulate how your energy is going in and, uh, be able to, uh, to, uh, to rest and recuperate a little bit during the break. So for me, that would be flying to the tanker back from the tanker. So the way we really do that is to, uh, to focus on the mental aspect of human performance. So that can be visualization, stealth, self-talk, staying in the present moment, and then being able to have enough nutrition and, uh, and enough, uh, adequate rest, uh, for our brain. So when I'd be flying to the tankers, I'd, I'd take a few breaths, take a sip of water. I'd fly with a little like peanut butter packs. So being able to keep yourself energized throughout the, uh, the flight. And then from the cognitive standpoint, One thing I do see as an instructor is students that come to me, they, they do extremely well until they make a bad decision. And then oftentimes that can steamroll and it can, you know, the train will go off the tracks. So one important job of mine is to be able to help them to be mentally resilient, mentally tough, because if you make a mistake, you don't want to be focusing on that mistake. That's burning cognitive bandwidth that you could be using to get yourself out of that mistake. But a lot of students don't know that. And they'll focus and they'll kick themselves and think they're going to fail the ride. And then it'll snowball and they'll continue to make poor decisions. So that's about staying in the present moment, understanding how the mind works. We're really uh, primed to be able to focus on what's urgent instead of important. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. But uh, you know, since we've started implementing this human performance mindset, we've seen the, the students and instructors doing a lot better.
0: It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The company showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up.
1: Because that really hit home. Because I, I I used to always focus on the mistake. I would never be able to sort of look to the, look to the horizon rather than I would always look in the rearview mirror how do you think then are you using like the debriefs, the training, you know, you mentioned about the importance of attention to detail and what to prioritize and what's urgent and what's not, et cetera. How do we use these kind of concepts like in the service, but also in civilian life to kind of make better decisions? Is it the refocusing on what's coming forward? You know, how do you shift that out your mind, not focus on, <clears throat> The issues, you know, the, the mistake you made or whatever. Is the debrief, mm-hmm. is it just doing it enough so that you can learn to control that part of yourself?
2: Exactly. It's to give yourself a dedicated time to debrief. So a lot of times when we make a mistake, especially when we're not in a flying environment, you you want to debrief yourself while it's actually happening. And that's that's a mistake. As fighter pilots, we give ourselves those, you know, several hours after a flight to debrief, figure out what went wrong but we can do that in any aspect. So you can do that after speaking. You can do that after whatever job you're in, give yourself always at least five minutes to debrief what happened, because in the moment, whenever, you know, uh, whenever things are getting tough, you can tell yourself, this isn't the right time to debrief. There is a dedicated time afterwards that I can debrief and that I can focus on it. So just giving yourself that little breather, can really help in the present moment. Also understanding how our brains work, how we're biased towards negative thoughts. We're always doing fear-based planning. So understanding yourself, giving yourself time to debrief. And then also that debrief will be instrumental. So if you ask any fighter pilot, what's the most important part of the flight uh, when it comes to getting better, they'll say the debrief. And so it doesn't need to be two or you know eight hours for people. Five minutes is enough. Just come up with three things you did well, three things you did poorly, that's enough over time, you're going to get
1: significantly better. So what's the balance do you find between being, you you know, like in a normal situation, in a job, there's a balance between confidence and ego. It's not too bad. But then, you know, you've got people that are risk averse, you know, you want them to look at a situation and realize that there is potential danger there. But you also don't want them to be held back by fear. How do we utilize these kind of concepts in civilian life from the you know what you're taught in the military because if we do it we get told off by a boss if if you do something silly it's potentially life or death for you and others how should we be using the, the difference between confidence and ego you know not being held back by fear but also using it thinking about it safely if you know what i mean
2: yeah that's that's a really good question so I think, uh, people, people assume fighter pilots are, are arrogant, uh, from, from some of the movies, but I would say confident confidence comes from within arrogance is how you're trying to project that to other people around you. So confidence comes from a preparation, most important thing, understanding, knowing that you've put in the work and that you know how to execute on any given day. And so anytime I fly, Anytime I fly, every time I've flown as the canopy is coming down, you know, all of my my doubts, different random thoughts. But as soon as the canopy is coming down, I always think that I am the best person for the mission today. And it's just a switch that goes on. So beforehand, I think I have a pretty balanced approach of, of, you know, my strengths and weaknesses. But as soon as the canopy is coming down, I understand that, you know, that that time is over. It's time to execute. And I, I switch my mindset, so I think that's useful for other people as well. Whenever uh, you're planning, whenever you're thinking about the, the strengths and weaknesses, you know you want to be balanced. You want to have a good understanding of of the the risks. But once it's time to execute, you've already hopefully thought through the contingencies, how you're going to execute, and then it's time to just just focus on uh, on game day. So that's that's one aspect. The other aspect is thinking in terms of expected value. So ultimately, when you're making a decision, you're just trying to assess the expected value. So what is the good thing that can happen from this decision? What's the probability of that happening? Minus, what's the bad side to this? And what's the probability of that happening? That's all we're trying to do when we're making decisions. So that's something a, a lion does when he's on the, uh, the planes trying to take down a gazelle. As humans, though... We, we have a tough time doing that because we like to outsource our thoughts. As we've become more advanced, we really specialize in different aspects. If you think of a large organization, not many people are making overall big picture decisions. So we are, are taught to really rely on committees and computer models, things like that. So one of the things I really stress in this book is coming up, using your critical thinking to come up with a decision before you you hear from a committee, before you hear from a computer model, before you outsource your thinking, come up with a decision on your own, because that'll do two things. One, it'll force you to have accountability. You've made that decision. Now, if somebody else comes in with a better idea, you can be like, oh, okay, well, I didn't consider this perspective. That's one aspect. Second, it can really help you out a lot. Computer models, for instance, can be very elaborate, very good. The ones we have in the military are phenomenal. They are they, they take into account so many variables, but oftentimes if you change it by a minute amount, it can completely go haywire. So you really want to have that critical thinking on your own so you can say this doesn't look right and dig into it and understand why those things are happening. So really valuing that critical thinking thinking in terms of expected value. I call it fast forecasting because you're not going to be able to come up with a exact percentage like a computer model. And that's a good thing. You really want to rely on your expertise to come up with what's the percent of something good happening and how good is it? Because that's our strength as humans to, to really take and think critically when it comes to decision-making.
1: I love it. I love how your brain just takes these complex issues and you can explain it in such a a sort of beautiful way like um you can really hit home and like ex- educate us and like your podcast is fantastic every episode i've listened to you have given such detailed and helpful like self-improvement methods and that's why i know the book is going to be amazing and I can, it's on my audible list i cannot wait to start listening but what do you want people to do when they get it how do you Because I'm a big believer, which I think you are as well, of being 1% better every day. How do you want people to use the book to start improving their life, no matter the role or their industry they're in? How can we start being like hazard in our own industry? I
2: would say listen to the stories and internalize it. So what I did with this book is I really made it storytelling based. So I wanted to make it like a, a Malcolm Gladwell book or a Tool Gawande book where Storytelling, that's that's how we learn. If you're going back thousands of years, we learn through stories. So I think somebody said, you know, if, you, if all it took was information, we'd all have six packs and be a billionaire. So you can't just learn all this information from tweets. You really have to be able to conceptualize it. The best way to do that is through actually a lived experience. But the second best way to do that is to learn from others. You don't always have to touch the hot stove to know it's hot. As humans, we can... Mm-hmm. Analyze what other people are doing, develop lessons learned, and then incorporate it on our own. Now, oftentimes, you know, I, I have uh, young kids. You know, you you do have to sometimes touch the hot stove, but uh, you know, every once in a while, you can learn from other people. So, I've tried to incorporate a lot of, a lot of good stories. Some from my time flying, some from pivotal times in history. So, for instance, I talk about Eisenhower's decision to delay D-Day by a day and then execute, even though there's a very narrow window to, uh, cross, cross the English channel. So that was an interesting uh, decision that I broke down in the book. And then, uh, also business decisions. So I talked through, uh, excite.com back in the nineties, had the opportunity to buy Google for $750,000 and yet chose not to. So I analyzed that decision and, uh, developed some lessons learned from that. So I hope people can really just internalize the stories, put yourself in these positions um that's what i tried to do keep uh, keep it suspenseful so people feel like they're actually in these decisions and then afterwards about 20% are these lessons learned and kind of summarizing what people can learn from it so uh just enjoy the book and i think e- if you enjoy it and and really take some time to think about it you'll become better at making decisions
1: now i know yeah, you're gonna be fantastic. I'm a major fan. I would love to have you on for a proper podcast later on. I'm gonna make a new series out of book reviews, et cetera, because you you're I think your book is gonna be that good and would, I'm so keen for people to buy it. But why do you think people should buy it? Here's a brilliant chance to sell the book. Why should people pick this up? How you know, what is it about this book do you think that's gonna help them in their lives? Um What's the, you know, is there a part of the book that you really want people to pay attention to that you don't get a chance to talk about more? Or is it, was the book writing cathartic in a way? It helped you come to terms with like your combat career, etc. What Why should we pick up the book? And I think everybody should, but why do you think we should?
2: Yeah, so I'll answer that in two phases. First is why. So I think that leadership is really changing from management to decision making and the reason is management really was born out of the industrial revolution so you had hundreds thousands of people working in a factory so people were focused on how do we control this many people now as i talked to with my jet i'm thousands of times more capable but really all of us are like that so if you have a smartphone it can do the job of uh, dozens of people from a few years ago a modern combine harvester can harvest crops hundreds of times faster than by hand A good way to look at that is, as a human, we all burn about 90 watts of electricity, and yet the average Westerner burns 12,000 watts of electricity. That powers the technology that is augmenting our decisions. So right now, there are predictions out of Silicon Valley that there will be a billion-dollar company within the next decade that's run by three or fewer people. That's insane. I mean, if you you were trying to make a billion-dollar company in the 1800s, it would have taken hundreds of thousands of people. Today, it takes thousands of people. Three or fewer people for a billion-dollar company is insane, and that's because of AI. So we're really accelerating our use of technology. So ultimately, decision-making is a critical skill going forward, especially if you want to become a leader. You really have to be able to make great decisions. That's what people are going to be looking to you for. So that's why people should buy the book. Why I wrote the book, and was it cathartic? yeah, I I wrote every word in this book. I spent over 500 days in a row writing right here in this office. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was challenging. This is the culmination of a six year journey. The reason I wrote it, I was coming back from Afghanistan. It was a really busy, pivotal time. And, uh, so I was decompressing, writing down some stories that coincided with, uh, Luke Air Force Base wanted me to give a speech on Memorial Day because we we did have some people unfortunately um, killed uh, while I was uh, at Bagram uh, Air Base, and so I gave a speech. There was a woman in the crowd who who came to me afterwards and said, "You have to come to my school and start giving uh, telling my students about this because they don't understand much about the military. It's kind of this this kind of scary organization to them." And, uh, so I started giving, uh, talking in schools and, and talking with students and that led to the podcast. So the podcast combined with this kind of desire to, to write down some of the stories from Afghanistan really merged into this book and the publishing industry, very, very slow. Um, so, uh, I went through nine revisions, uh, cause I really wanted to make this a, a great book. I wanted it to, to be condensed, to be tight, to not have any extra fat. And it's finally coming out
1: uh, in just a couple of days. Uh, It's going to be a major success. You know, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you for your service. Thank you for helping improve the next generation of operators. But now you're actually helping so many people be better humans, be better at their performance, their jobs, making them potentially, you know, get the rises, get the become better fathers, be better operators in whatever industry. The book is going to be a massive success, but what are you most proud of in it? Or is there an area that you think we need to check out that you're particularly proud of, but you don't think it's got kind of service in other interviews you've done? Because people talk about the you know the kind of sexier topics. What's your favorite chapter in the book that you want everybody to check out first?
2: That's a good question. Uh, I think it's going to depend. Everybody's going to have you know gravitate towards. Different areas, so I was debating whether I should put decision or uh, uh, business decisions in there. And some people have said that's been their favorite part. Some of the advanced readers. Um, so I think it's just going to be whatever you resonate with. For me, it was it was being able to tell some of the stories in Afghanistan and then talk through the decisions that I made because there were quite a few instances where people's lives were on the line and we had to to use the skills in the book to be able to make good decisions. Talk about dropping a 2000 pound bomb, just uh, a couple hundred feet away from friendly soldiers to be able to stop the brunt of an enemy attack. So there's a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, stories in there where I go into how I was using these decisions and how people can use them, uh, in their daily lives. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate the book so far has been, uh, it's been doing well. It's been translated into multiple languages, uh, it's being uh, translated into Ukrainian. So they'll be using that uh, on the battlefield here pretty soon. Um, the UK has has picked it up. So Penguin uh, Random House has picked it up in the UK. So it's available there. So I'm excited to, to finally get the word out. And for people to, to help make better decisions, I think it's going to make the world a better place. And uh, I'm looking forward to people's feedback.
1: Um, how can we keep in touch with you? You know, Because I'm sure there's more books coming there you know you could do a kind of platform on teaching people to be better at decision making reaction speeds all these sorts of things because you've got an amazing a, a talent in the instructor you know about you you can explain and educate us but how can we follow you along on this journey you're going because you know you've got a beautiful family you're doing all these amazing things how can we keep in touch with you and what um what you're doing
2: Yeah. So pretty much every platform I'm under hazard Lee with an S. So H A S A R D Lee L E E. So you can find me anywhere there. And, uh, I don't know if I have any more books in me that this one was, I put, I put everything I could into it. Really proud of it. Um, you know, we'll see, but I definitely, I, I, I definitely enjoyed the process. It was, it was painful going through it and, and really learning how to write well, but I, I put everything into it, hazardly. You can find me on all the uh, the social media uh, sites. I put on. Uh, like to put entertaining things on there. For instance, we we put a UFC fighter in the centrifuge to to see how he would do. We, uh, we we do pretty pretty interesting things to be able to to translate what we do in the fighter jet to a context that people can can really see in in everyday life. Well, that's
0: it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life.